Aloha and welcome to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel Kaneohe. Hope Chapel exists to grow ordinary people into faithful, productive followers of Jesus Christ, equipping them through Bible teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Today, Pastor Ralph brings a message entitled, Mighty Inner Strength, will be in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning with verse 14. And now, here's Pastor Ralph. The message is Mighty Inner Strength, and we're going to start talking about uh, David in the Old Testament, King David and Mighty Inner Strength. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, the Apostle Paul writes a prayer. And he says, when I think of the wisdom and the scope of God's plan, which would be his plan to bring everybody back into relationship with him, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will give you mighty inner strength through his Holy Spirit. He goes on with the rest of the prayer and we'll read it in a moment. But I just want you to stop and think for a moment about who it is that we're praying to. You know, sometimes I think that we have this this picture of God. Each one of us probably has a little different picture than the other. And sometimes the picture that we have of God is something that we picked up in a book someplace. It's something maybe we got in the funny papers. You know, maybe God to you is is an old man in the sky with a big, long gray beard. Uh, the, the Bible says that no one has ever seen God, and it says that no one can see God and live. And in fact, there are a couple of people who had great favor with God, and God all but showed himself to them. And one of them was Elijah, and the Bible tells about how that, that, that Elijah couldn't stand to see the glory of God and, and survive it. And so the Lord put him, let him be in a cave and, in, and, and, you know, there's this thing, the, the technical word is anthropomorphism, which means that you make God into a big man. And oftentimes the Bible speaks metaphorically, and it'll say things like, oh, the hand of God. But does that mean that God has a hand? I really don't think so. The Bible says that he is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. But the Bible mer- metaphorically says, God covered with his hand the cave, and then... After he passed by, he allowed Elijah to see the glory that lingered after he passed by. Wow, what's that all about? You know, God who is the creator. God who is the mind behind everything. I talked to a man last night, and he told me that his brother-in-law has got a doctorate in physics. And because he got a doctorate in physics, he went on and got a master's in theology. Because as he, as he began to, to unravel the world the way that the world is. And he began to study, this was the thing, if you're into this, he began to study Newtonian physics. John Newton, five centuries ago, four centuries ago, came up with a kind of a worldview, a scientific worldview that really held sway in the scientific community until Albert Einstein came along in, in the early part of the 20th century. And the truth is, most of us live with a view of the world that's Newtonian. It's old, it's obsolete. And as this man began to, to a Christian man, began to study what, what science is saying about the universe and how it was formed and the history of the universe, and he's studying his Bible alongside of it, he's going, oh my gosh, the parallels are here. And, and it drove a physicist to go get a degree in theology. The wonders of God who created the universe. 
You know, I was reading this story this week. There's a, a wonderful book I bought by a, by a secular author who started to write a book on Ronald Reagan's politics. And he said, the more I got into it, the, the more and more and more data, the more letters kept turning up as he, as he read through the material at the Reagan Library. And I began to realize what a, what a powerfully committed Christian this man was and, and how he would, he would describe himself as a born-again Christian and he would continue to correspond with Christians from his past and write about God. And, and so he writes this letter about Reagan and God, or this book about Reagan and God. He said, I had to change the whole subject of the book because the life of Ronald Reagan is a life that's wrapped around a relationship with God. But in it, he describes Reagan as, as holding his, his first child as, as, a, as a young Christian man but looking at, that, at just the baby's ear and then knowing how the ear takes and captures and magnifies sound and then how it all works inside of your head and everything and, and, and how captivated he became with that thought about the, the, the creator. But this isn't by chance. And that as we worship the creator, we're worshiping the creator who has all the resources the, the Bible says literally to speak the universe into being. And Paul says, I'm praying from his glorious, unlimited resources. Whatever that means. I mean, you know, I, I, have, I have ideas about how far I can go in prayer. And all I can tell you is I know they're not big enough. I know that prayer is a privilege. It's not a religious duty. I know it's my opportunity to open the door and allow heaven to invade earth. Jesus said that we ought to pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. And, and then we go on and we say, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And there's a part of that that says, God, let your kingdom come over me and, and help your will be done in my obedience to you. But there's another part that would say, your kingdom come, your will be done in terms of my friend here is sick, make him well, because there's no sickness in heaven. Bring, let, bring heaven to earth. There's, there's, a, there's a lack. We don't have what we need here. Bring the resources of heaven to earth, and that we open up the, our, our hearts and we open the door to the heavenlies, and we're inviting God to reach from that dimension into this dimension and to do the things that need to be done in our lives. And, and so Paul is, is, is he, always aware of this. We're going to read in a week or two where he says that God is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all we could ask or think. But as we look at it tonight, he's saying, my prayer is that from, from his, his unlimited resources, that he will grant you mighty inner strength. Mighty inner strength. What is that? Well, that's the strength to stand. You know, I baptized a girl last night who wandered away from the Lord and into to drugs and alcohol and and she's come back and she's walking with the Lord. She's four months clean. She's in discipleship. But do you know what? It's going to take more than good discipline and Bible reading to get her over the hump. It's going to take the, the inner strength that only the Holy Spirit can, can give you. It's going to take that, that anointing of the Spirit, the kind of thing that the Bible describes happening to Jesus when he was baptized in water, but it describes it happening to us as we're baptized or bathed or, or, you know, the word anointed in the Bible literally means smeared over with the Holy Spirit. And as, as we talk about this, he's asking that we would come to a place where we had mighty inner strength. And I thought, you know, I've talked a long ways getting into this, but I, I wanted to just uh, give you an illustration 
of mighty inner strength. And I'd like for you to take in your Bible and, and go back to 1 Samuel chapter 16, uh, verses 13, and then we're going to look at chapter 17, verse 37. 1 Samuel is in the Old Testament. It's probably about one quarter of the way into your whole Bible. A lot of you guys are brand new, maybe 20% of the way in. If you hit Chronicles or Kings, uh, you went too far. Uh, if you hit Deuteronomy or something like that, you're not far enough into the Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 16. And I'm just going to tell you a story, but I want you to read a couple of these verses. And, and you might want to even just underline a couple of these verses. The story starts out with uh, the people of Israel. And, and they've, they've come into the land that God promised them. And they've lived there for a while. And God has basically caused leadership to happen in their midst through prophets. And he's spoken to the prophets, the prophets have spoken to the people, and that's the way it works. The people of Israel come along and they give the argument that I used to always give my mom and dad, I want to be like everybody else, you know? Well, mom, everybody's doing it. You know, how many of you are familiar with that argument? That would never ever cut anything with my parents. But finally, uh, God relents. They go, we want a king. And God says, I don't want you to have a king. I want to be your king. And they go, no, no, we want a king like everybody else has a king. And finally God says, you'll be sorry, but you can have a king. And, and the Lord causes the, the, the last leading prophet, the last prophet who led the nation, Samuel, to go out and find this man. And, and, it's, and if you read the first part of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel to me is the most exciting book in the Bible. I love reading 1 Samuel. And it, I mean, it's kind of almost like a novel or something. And, and Samuel is called on to go out in this very supernatural way. I won't get into it. God identifies this person named Saul, who's going to be the king over the people of Israel. And the Bible describes Saul as being head and shoulders above everybody else. I had breakfast with a man this morning. He's a, he's a pastor who's on the radio all over the United States. He's six foot, eight inches tall. Now that's head and shoulders above everybody else. And, and just, just fitting in the booth at the restaurant, uh, uh, he had to move the table my way. I was pinned just to get him in there. And so Saul is head and shoulders above everybody else in Israel. But the Bible says that he's a man who is small in his own sight. Or he is small in his own eyes. Actually, it says he is, he is little in his own eyes. And in other words, he's humble. And, and, I, and this is the kind of person that God wants to work with. Uh, one of the things in, in this reading this book about God and Ronald Reagan, it, that Nell Reagan, his mother, who was, was actually kind of a lay preacher, and, and he was too and as a young man. They thought he was going to be a pastor. Uh, and uh, his dream was actually to be a salesman of refrigerators at Montgomery Ward. And, and uh, he didn't end up doing either of those things. He did the other thing. Uh, Nell Reagan would, would always drill into her son, there are plenty of people who are too big for God to use, but there is no one that's too small for him to use. Something to think about. So Saul is a big man, but he's small in his own eyes. And, and he starts out very well as king, and God blesses him. And then somewhere along the, the, the way, he changes, and he starts to, to, to look at his own self and his own strength and his own self-reliance. And he turns his back on God, and God rejects him from being king. And, and the Lord comes to Samuel and says, I'm done with Saul. He's finished, washed up, gone over, forget it. And he says, I want you to go over here to the, to the house of this guy named Jesse in this town called Bethlehem. And when you get there, 
I, I want you to anoint one of his sons, and don't worry, I'll show you which one, to be king. And Samuel goes, I can't do that. If I try to go over there and do that, Saul will find out about it. He'll kill me. And the Lord says, uh, let's just play I spy here a little bit. And you go over there and, and go to offer a sacrifice. But while you're offering the sacrifice, you interview Jesse's sons, and I'll tell you which one. And so Samuel gets out there. They call the big sacrifice. They kill an ox. They have a barbecue. They do the whole thing. And he starts looking over Jesse's sons. And the first one is big, tall, and handsome and charismatic. You know, I mean, he's just glows in the dark, one of those kind of guys. And, and Samuel goes, surely this must be the Lord's choice. And the Lord speaks to him and says, no, no, I've rejected him. And they go right down the line. Bing, 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 bing. There's seven sons. And God rejects them all. And, and Samuel finally goes to Jesse in frustration. He's confused. I mean, he's just hearing the Lord and knowing what the Lord says. And, and, and he goes, did I get this wrong? Don't you have any other kids? And, and he goes, well, yeah, there's, there's little David. He's out watching the sheep. See, well, there's this tendency for us to write off people who are young. There's this tendency for us to write off people who, who are, are not, not real confident in themselves. If you would have known me when I was 15 years old, you would never believe that there are going to be 300 Hope Chapels in the world. You would have been like the two people who told me I shouldn't waste my life trying to be a pastor because I didn't have what it takes. And Samuel says, go bring the boy in. And David comes and the Bible said he was a, a ruddy youth, which must mean he was sunburned or something and good looking, strong, but a kid. And, and instantly as he's there, the Lord says, this is the one, anoint him. And, and I want you to read verse 13 of chapter 16. It says, so David stood there among his brothers. And Samuel took the olive oil that he had brought and he poured it on David's head. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him from that day on. And then Samuel returned to Ramah. The spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him as Samuel anointed him with oil. In the Bible, oil or olive oil is always seen as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So it's a prophetic act. We're pouring oil over your head, hoping that God will pour his spirit over your head. We're, we're called on in the scripture in the New Testament to anoint people with oil when you, when you pray for them when they're sick. And, you know, we have this story that we like to tell. Is Aaron back here? Aaron was, hey, way in the back right there. Uh, there's a story that I just can't resist telling. But when, when we were all young and Aaron had black hair, um, way, way back there before the dawn of time. Um, uh, you know, Aaron, you, you should have seen Aaron, man. Aaron comes to this church. He's got this beautiful girlfriend, this beautiful black Porsche, the house at the beach, the whole thing, uh, doing drugs and about ready to end it all because none of it satisfying him. And then in the midst of that, on the day that he was going to do the deed, he found the Lord. And, and the Lord just changed his heart. But this guy got turned on to Jesus. And once there was somebody in our church that was sick and they wanted to pray for him. And we always kept a bottle of olive oil around someplace and we couldn't find it. And so Aaron went out in the parking lot and popped the lid of a Volkswagen, got the dipstick out and comes in with some oil, smears it on their forehead and they prayed for him. And, and you know, you, you just got to think this whole thing here. They, they, they dumped the oil all over his head. And that, that person was really lucky that Aaron hadn't read this scripture. But it says that the spirit of the Lord came mighty upon him that day. And, and then uh, we go on to the story and it, and it, and it kind of fast forwards a little bit. And, 
And the, the Spirit of the Lord has left King Saul, and he's depressed and anxious all the time. And he calls for somebody that can play music. And so they send David in to play music. And David plays the harp, and it calms him down. But David's just sort of an employee around the place. And, and David's back and forth in and out of his father's house. And, and then later on, the people of Israel are, are, are out arrayed on the hillside someplace against the Philistines, which we would call Palestinians today, fighting over the same land. And as, as they're out there, the, the soldiers of Israel are terrified because the Philistines have a man that we see identified in the Bible by one of the soldiers as a giant. Now, the word giant is relative. How many of you are familiar with that jolly green fellow on the bean can, you know? Ho, 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 remember? Jolly green giant. And he looks about 900 feet tall. When, when the Bible actually describes Goliath, and it says that, that he is six cubits tall, six and a half cubits tall, and, and, and a cubit is the distance between a man's elbow and the tip of his fingers. Now, if you're five foot eight, the, a cubit is one measurement. If you're six foot two, a cubit is a whole nother measurement. So it's not a real accurate measurement. We're not really sure how tall Goliath is. Is but if if you took average guy and you and you did this six times, what you're getting is Shaquille O'Neal out of the thing. When we say giant here, we're not talking about something that's otherworldly or never Neverland. We're talking about something that's genetically uh, possible. The Bible says that he had four brothers that were as big as he was, and um, so David is sent by his father with some loaves of bread and some goat cheese and whatever to take it out to his brothers who are involved in the battle and to the captain that's over the brothers trying to probably buy favor. And David gets out and, and, and he hears that this thing is going on. Every day, this huge guy comes out and, and defies the armies of Israel and says, you know what, let's just call this off. Let's just do one-on-one, mano-on-mano. And uh, you send the biggest guy in Israel, and we'll take it on. And, and whoever wins, wins. If, if, if I win, we own you. If you win, yeah, you know, own me. And, and guess who's the biggest guy in Israel? Saul, the king. And what's Saul doing? Quivering in his tent. And this kid David comes up, and, and, he, and he hears this guy out there yelling and hollering. He goes, what's that? And, and they tell him what it is. And, and he goes, well, what in the world is going on here that we're letting this foolish pagan rail against the armies of the living God? Now, you're talking about mighty inner strength here. Yeah, anointed with the Spirit. Something changes inside of you. Your character changes. Your whole paradigm changes in terms of life. Courage begins to replace fear and, and something overtakes you that's, that's, that's solid and good and valuable and you're willing to, to take risks. And, and, and that's what faith is all about, putting yourself in positions where if God didn't come through, you'd be in trouble, but he will come through. And, and so David goes, why are we allowing this to go on? And then somebody tells him what a mess it is and how everybody's terrified and, and how if, 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 if somebody were to take the guy out, they would get the king's daughter in marriage. Their family would pay no taxes and they'd be made wealthy. And David goes, now tell me that again. And uh, one of his brothers overhears him and goes, you little punk, go back home. What are you doing stirring up trouble? And David gives a typical little brother answer. I was just asking questions. I wasn't doing anything wrong. I mean, it's right there in the scripture. You can read it. Somebody overhears David and the statements that he's making. They take him to Saul. 
And he gets to Saul the king. And, 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 and it's like Saul must have hope in his heart. There's somebody that's finally got the courage to go out and do something about this. And it isn't me. And, th- and then he sees him and he goes, you're a boy. And he's been in the army since he was a boy. You're nothing. Now watch what David says. David says, who is this pagan to rail against the God of Israel? And he goes, I want you to know that whenever a lion or a bear attacked my father's sheep, I would, now watch the way it says it. He says, whenever a lion or a bear would attack my father's sheep, I would go up and I would grab it by the jaw and I would beat it to death with my club. And I did it every time bears or lions, plural, attacked my father's sheep. And the God who delivered me will deliver that man into my hands. Mighty inner strength. Folks, if all we have is that we come to church, hear a little thing that kind of pumps us up and helps us to get through the week, there's something missing. And we need to put ourselves in a place where we're saying, Lord, I want an anointing from you. My prayer life needs to be one where I spend enough time with God that something gets to break up deep inside of my heart and God begins to fill me and pour something in me till it overflows me. Mighty inner strength. I believe in praying for each other and, and, and praying, God, impart your gifts, impart your strength, impart something supernatural. Take away my fear and, and, and fill me with faith. Do something to me that, that drastically needs to be done. You know, there's a sense of, of, of just choosing to walk with God and choosing to go wherever you, that he takes you and do whatever he'll do with you. That, that, that creates, when, when you begin to understand that you're in his hand and he's got a plan for your life and you're playing the, the plan out, then you know that you don't have to fear. When I was a kid, I'd climb up anything. I climbed, if you've ever been to Dana Point, California, where the harbor is there, I climbed the cliff and uh, got into a near accident up there. But I knew that God was, had a plan for me. I was, I was fearless. If you've ever been to Multnomah Falls in Oregon, it's, it's 720 feet, and there used to be a tree that grew out over the top of the falls. And we had a youth group activity going up there once, and a bunch of us snuck up and went up before everybody else got up. And when they get to the bridge below, I'm out there swinging on a branch that's hanging over the thing, you know, because I knew that God had a plan for my life. I couldn't fall. (laughs) Now, that may be pushing it a little, but there's a sense when you get in the groove and you know that God's got something for you to do, you know it's going to happen. And so David goes out and first thing is Saul finally agrees and says, okay, you can go and tries to loan him his armor. And Saul's a big man and David's not. And the armor doesn't fit. And David says, I can't do this. And so he goes out by the brook and he, and he picks up five smooth stones. That's because a smooth one will sail faster through the air than a jagged one. And I think there's a reason for five. It doesn't say it in the text, but later on it mentions that Goliath had four brothers and I think David thought he might need five rocks before the day was done. And he goes out and, and, and he comes to war and he's got his shepherd's staff, which, by the way, might be something to help plant you and get your aim a little bit better. And he's got this sling, which is not one of these deals, 
But it's, a, it's, a, it's two thongs of leather, one that you got tied to your wrist, the other that you're holding in your hand, and, and it's got a little pocket, and you put a rock in the thing, and you start to get that thing zinging around really good, and just at the right moment, you let go. And this giant of a man, Goliath, comes out, and he sees David and says, what am I, a dog that you send children out to war with me? And he goes, this day, I'm going to feed your body to the birds of the air. And David says, no, no, no. The God of Israel, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac is going to deliver me into your hand. And today, I'm going to feed your body to the birds of the air. And Goliath gets a lesson in ballistics real fast. But it's real short because the Bible says the rock buried itself in the middle of his forehead. He fell to the ground. David runs up, pulls the man's sword out, cuts his head off with his own sword, drags the head back as a trophy, and leaves the body there to the birds of the air. This is a man that stands in the strength and the power and the might of the Lord. And he became the king of Israel. You've been listening to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe. 